This is Jan Cox Talk number 2,594, recorded October 20th, 2000. I was going to say some more about thoughts personifying, but something else also hit me. Uh, so many of you seem to immediately identify and picture exactly what I was saying when I was bringing up an example, uh, a little off the subject, but last time... And I was mentioning about stock footage that you can buy to fill in uh, so that you don't have to send that cameraman. And I was saying that a person could hear like I was doing. I was making an example, if you recall, if you were here. And I was saying, oh, well, that reminds me, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I was in Paris and I was in the sidewalk cafe. I was sitting there alone. And I was pointing out to you that everyone, by now, at least everyone hearing this, did you not in your mind have a picture. It was not just a stale photograph, but I don't know whether you analyzed it this precisely, but I would say it was not a still photograph. It moved in some way. In other words, it was like a short piece of stock footage of a sidewalk cafe in Paris. And it doesn't matter whether you've ever been there. And I was pointing out, or I'll ask you the rhetorical question, where do you get, what is your thoughts? get this stock footage, and I pointed out that from watching TV, movies. And I went on, because that wasn't the point. But this is something that uh, perhaps some of you will get a new take on what appears to be a critical attitude and what... There's so much more to it than I can ever describe. This is just another facet that came to me that might be of some use to you. Do you realize I could have taken that example? I could have said... You know, right quick, if I if you didn't, if I was going to announce I was making a lecture about uh, the human mind, the psychology of man, and I started off and I said, have you noticed that if uh, me or someone else started telling a little anecdote and said, uh, let me tell you something that happened to me. I was in Paris a few years back, and I was sitting at just, you know, his typical little outdoor sidewalk cafe. It was a nice spring afternoon. Now, this is me doing, talking to people in the psychology of man. And then if I stopped right there, hesitated, then I turned to the crowd and I said, do you notice in your head, in your mind, as you call it, you had a picture, did you not, of a sidewalk cafe in Paris? And I say that everybody went, yeah, you're right. And I said, but has everyone, is everyone who had such a picture, have you actually been to Paris, sat in a sidewalk cafe on a spring afternoon? And they would say, someone would say, no. And I would say, well, I would say to you that almost anybody on this planet now, or less anybody in the civilized world, would have a picture in their head. And just imagine that. Guys that's never been off the farm out in Arkansas, Nebraska, going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I could make it sound as though it was a criticism. I could say, what kind of bullshit is this? It's just one step from that that people go, oh, yeah, 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 I had a picture of it. It's just one step from that to someone saying, you mean, I didn't know you'd been to Paris, Hubert. You go, oh, yeah, well, back during the war, back before I met you. That you forget where you picked this up. You forget. So I could make an attack on movies. I could, just popular culture, but I could single out, I could go, it's movies. People think movies are harmless entertainment. Well, maybe it was... Well, I don't know. I guess from some views, I don't know, maybe cartoons or something. But what I just pointed out to you, 
is part of what brings about the pathology of man's mind. Do you realize that? That people go to movies. Hollywood makes these damn movies, and it's bad enough they're full of sex and violence. But here's the more subtle damage it does, is a person sees a movie set in Paris, or it has a scene. And say that the stars are there, and it's the first time the heroine meets the hero, they fall in love, and it really struck your fancy. And it's stuck in your mind. And now someone even asks you, it gets to the point, it's very likely that someone will start talking about how beautiful Paris is in the spring. And you might go, how true. And somebody goes, oh, I didn't know you'd been to Paris. And you begin to lie. You forget that you lie. Maybe the first time you just involuntarily go, oh, yes, there's nothing like Paris, and especially being out at a sodbalt cafe. Another person who's actually been there goes, isn't that the truth? There's just nothing like it. Even in New York, even in the village, there's just nothing in America. And you go, that's true. And pretty soon you've forgotten it. You begin to live lies because of movies, television. It makes it hard for us to distinguish. I could make it an attack. And not that hard to support. I wouldn't look hard for an audience for me to go, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I never thought about it. But how insightful for you to recognize the more subtle damage that movies can do. Have you ever thought about this? Anything that humans do that is outside, that is above the non-conscious level. Below the non-conscious level, nothing you can point out about a man engenders any feeling of condemnation or criticism. But anything you point out, anything that humans do that's motivated by something above the non-conscious level. Well, you know, what I usually say is instinctive, but is really misdirecting because thinking is instinctive. But at any rate, it is only things, well, it is things of man's secondary reality. Things that are outgrowths that would not be there were it not for conscious thought. In other words, we would not have movies, so we couldn't go to movies and have them influence in whatever they do were it not for conscious thought. But notice it's only once you get above the level of consciousness and its products that this happens. That anything below the conscious level, so to speak, engenders no potential feeling of criticism at all. You can't go up to somebody and go, you remember that man that we went to high school with? You remember uh, Bobby Fulton? You go, yeah. You go, you know what I found out? He eats. And if that didn't take your breath away, I found out when he gets tired, he'll rest. In fact, he sleeps almost every night. Sleeps! But when you get above, that was the point of that, but when you get above that level, when you get beyond that, notice that anything that humans do and that they will refer to that other humans do can be taken one of two ways. It can be taken as a criticism or not. And I would point out to you that most, the most common is you take it as criticism. If I had not had some other point, do you not see what I mean? That you, and I say you generically at least, do you not see that if I had been speaking about how someone can mention a sidewalk cafe on a spring day in Paris and that all sorts of people will nod along as though they knew what it was, exactly the experience, although they had never been outside Peoria. Because in their head, they are seeing right now, 
flashes of a movie of a TV show that they saw one time. And if I'd just gone on and left it there, you do surely hear what I mean. If I had not done it, you could have done it. Maybe if I had paused or given you enough time and maybe even changed the subject and you thought I got off the subject, could you not, do you not know, see what I mean, that you could have left assuming I meant that as a criticism? If I had just said, do you realize that people, they can hear a, a foreign place like a sidewalk cafe in Paris mentioned, and millions of people, probably most people on this planet by now, most of the civilized world, most anybody that has access to TV or been to movies, almost everybody on this planet now would tend to nod their head like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I could say, but how many people, out of the six million people on this planet, or how many people that heard me say that here in this audience, if I had, you know, several thousand people, I'd say, how many people have actually been to Paris in the spring and sat in a sidewalk cafe? Probably only one or two of you. And yet did not the rest of you, based upon having seen movies and TV shows that you have forgotten, in your mind, you nod along, it was like, yeah, I've been there. You, you just never think about that. And then if I'd gone on, you know, to some other subject, do you not see what I mean? There would have been very predictable that many, many people, if not the majority of them, if they paid much attention to it and thought there was a point to it, they would have taken the point to be a criticism. Like, isn't that something? That the human mind, people are, just the human mind is so weak or so whatever. But wouldn't it sound like I pointed out to show one of the weaknesses, one of the flaws of the human mind. And yet, it just as likely, in fact more so, the point I'm going to get to is more profitable, is to look at it another way. That that's absolutely marvelous. And don't make me drag it into cartoonish terms. All right, I will. But surely you can do it for yourself. If I start doing it, I'm ultimately going to bring it down to the point that being able to abstractly imagine things that are totally without, that are totally beyond your experience is at the base, at the heart of it, what gives thought its power. But I could also say, uh, somewhere this side of that, I could also say it's absolutely marvelous for its entertainment value. That you can sit there, someone who's never been outside the United States or off the farm, that someone can be talking and go, God, this kind of weather, I don't know, it reminds me of a spring day like you're sitting out in the sun, sidewalk cafe in Paris. And a person who's never been 20 miles away from a farm in Nebraska can get a cheap thrill, can go, oh, yeah. And they don't really remember why. They're not analyzing it. They don't want to. And it doesn't matter. It's not doing them any harm. But in their head, right quick, just for a few split seconds, they are seeing and feeling as though it's them, but they're seeing a scene that they picked up in a movie somewhere of a handsome man, a beautiful girl. And there they met the first time in the movie in that cafe. And they fell in love and they began holding him. Just the whole thing. You just remember it and you smile. And the person says, God, there's just nothing like it. This kind of weather reminds me of being in Paris this time of year and sitting out in a sidewalk cafe. Another person nod. 
it would be easy also to look at it from a, to put other terminology on it, to take it as being a criticism that, well, that's, pro- that's what's wrong with most people anyway. They live their life vicariously. And I could go on and on about that, about there's just one step from doing that in little minor ways, like children pretending that they have an imaginary playmate and that kind of stuff. But it's a short step from that to absolute mental pathology, to mental illness, to delusions. That you end up living your life vicariously. That you'll sit around people become serious couch potatoes, indoor sportsmen, living room thrill seekers. Doing nothing but watching television, saving up their money, going in debt, just so that they can pay whatever it is, large amounts every month to have 100 channels and 500 channels. And all they do is sit there and live their life vicariously. It's easy to make that sound like tut, tut, tut. But it's just as easy to go, what a bargain. <laughs> if it's costing you $100 a month. I don't think anything costs that, does it? $50 a month. For those 500 channels, instead of looking at like, well, somebody should grab that man's remote or rip the cable out of the wall and slap him around and break the remote and make him go outside and get some exercise, cut the grass, go run. Of course, people like that are idiots. Who's going to go out and run and get exercise on purpose? But at any rate, that wasn't the point tonight. We all agreed on that. You could look at it another way that $50 a month... Well, bargain doesn't even come close. <laughs> that if you can sit there and live your life vicariously, snow down mountaintops, live the life of James Bond, sit in a sidewalk cafe, fall in love with beautiful foreign women, play football, watch people suffer, watch real-life courtroom dramas, do all that for $50. Hell, you can't fill up your car with gas nowadays. And drive out to a football game in Backing Park for 50 bucks one time. Now you got it 30 days, 24 hours a day, anytime you want it. All right. Anything that has to do with human thought can be seen by anybody. Your thoughts will just, laugh, just leap on it immediately. You don't have to stop and analyze it. Anything that's mentioned, such as watching TV and living too much of your life in a secondhand manner. Imagining, forgetting that you have not done a certain thing and you simply are now replaying a movie in your head, a sketch of it, and you've forgotten it. You can, your thoughts can immediately, just based upon how you felt at the time, what the circumstance, you know how it goes. But at any given moment, hearing some aspect of human consciousness, human conscious thought mentioned, your thoughts, anybody's thoughts can immediately, automatically, with no analyzation, look at what is being said, the example being used, as being an example of what's wrong with human thought. That, I again submit to you, look at yourself, that is the norm. If the example of what's being talked about or what you're reading about really grabs your attention, enough that your thoughts seem to have some feeling one way or the other, that seem to have some opinion on it, I submit to you that the majority of the time it's going to take... The example is being a critical example, an example of what not to do. This is what's wrong. I say to you that you'll never get anywhere waking up doing that. One time's all right. One time to look around and say, well, the world, the whole world is full of idiots. Okay. We can all agree on that. One time. 
after that, to find more examples like we used to, I thought the world was full of idiots. But I didn't know about this example. This is something new that's come up. It's even worse than I thought. See, now you've fallen into it. If you do it more than once, you're the idiot. The real one. What is a benefit? Well, I was trying to make it, bring it to a more practical level. Is anytime, this is just something you can do. You don't have to try and watch yourself or self-remember or remember the name of Buddha. Is as soon as you hear your own thoughts, making a critical comment, no matter how well deserved, no matter that just seems blatant, that seems undeniable to your thoughts, there's another way and it takes no effort. All of you can do it by now or you wouldn't be here. All it takes is you remembering what I'm saying and you can immediately on your own see how it could be just as easily pictured as a benefit. And I don't mean a tortured picturization. I don't mean a rationalization. Just what I was pointing out about the... Well, you people can do it. It should just happen automatically. All you got to do is remember it. Because anything that your own thoughts, yours or anyone else's, but yours are the ones you have to deal with, or what's going on in your head, that you are, your thoughts latch on to some example, something you just heard about or read about, and your thoughts, as well-deserved, as defensible as it may be, because I'm saying that anything can be seen that way, anything, beyond the instinctive level, if it doesn't have to do with fucking, sleeping, or eating, or breathing, which you can't attack. There's nothing to say. But anything beyond that, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, you pick out somebody's religion and you start singing its praises, you start showing the history of what a good influence has been on this group of people. Group X that's had this group, they even feel that they identify themselves as being Group X, Nation X, Tribe X, on the basis of worshiping God X and having religion X. And you can drag their history out and say, well, at one time they were bloodthirsty, they were feared, they were hated, and then they adopted this idea of a, of a god, of a religion. Anyway, you can you know, show that these people now are outstanding citizens of the world. They've contributed oh so much to the cultural richness, blah, 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 thanks to their religion. But then you can turn right around and say, oh, by the way, right now they're killing an average of 2,000 people a week over this uh, one place where one of them says that their prophet died, and no one says their prophet was born. It's a space about 12 feet wide, and they're killing each other at the rate of 2,000 a week. I forgot to mention that. But see, that is what you normally latch on to if you are a critic of that religion, or if you're a critic of whatever it is. So what I'm saying is, anything that you hear that is an output, that is a product, that is a result of human thought, can be seen, I repeat, not through rationalization and not through some tortured sense of reason. It can just immediately be seen, the, the example is being critical, being the example of man's foolishness, being the example of what not to do. But it, it can just as easily, and it's just as valid, be seen as something positive. So anytime you hear yourself, you hear the thoughts in your own head latching on to a criticism, agreeing with somebody's that you just heard or read, or even your own, that your thoughts go, good God, you're an idiot. Or, Why in the hell would people do that? It takes no effort whatsoever by now that you can see how this has been a benefit to mankind. And it is through that 
that you're thinking about life is profitable. The critical side will get you nowhere. All of you should know that. That is the stalest. You should feel the impotence of it. It should almost annoy you. Surely it does by now. I don't know what else to call it. It's just, it's shameful. Just in a private sense. To hear that criticism, and not just hear the criticism, don't nod your head yet to yourself, is to hear those thoughts criticizing and then to entertain it. For you to listen to it and accept it. With no challenge. There's no way to put this. You people know by now. There's no description of this. But you let it go unchallenged. You let it go. That's what being asleep is. You let that which is mechanical go through you, and then later you complain about it. If you know what it is, that's, that's what I mean by challenge. You don't argue with it. You don't fight it because you can't win. You're fighting the ghost of Duncan. You're fighting ghosts. You're fighting illusions. But what you do is when you hear the thoughts making criticism, just remember what I'm saying tonight. That whatever the criticism is, you can see it just as easily. Immediately should come to your mind by now, your own version of how this benefited mankind. Because it did. It may not have benefited the group specifically that you were with at the time, such as with some one religion as opposed to another, or one political norm, or anything. From your personal experience right then, you may have never thought how this benefited, or you may not see how it has ever benefited you personally, but that doesn't matter, because if it benefited humanity, if you see, well, this, this thing that my thoughts, this activity, this example that my thoughts just latched onto and went, good grief, this is insanity on the, on the loose right there. You can just as easily, it just hits you, no, it's not. We would not be... As far along as we are, life would not be as comfortable and as agreeable and safe as it is now. Had it not been for that happening on a large scale, had it not been for the human mind, in large part, over large t time periods, over large areas, working in that way that just a split second ago, my thoughts were going, good grief, what idiocy. Does anybody care to apply that to your own criticism of your own thoughts? That's when mirrors begin to get headaches. Well, to me, it's not that mirrors get... I figured you'd like that one first. It's not that mirrors get headaches. I see it as their little ankles. I don't know the technical term. There must be one. Their ankles become... Well, traumatized is all I know to say. Become traumatized by so quickly trying to run out and turn right in front of themselves and turn around right quick. I never thought to put it in words, but to me, I just see the little ankles of my thoughts. I see it, and it's like a cartoon sense, you know, you just suddenly, the, like the camera in a cartoon, goes down to this character's little ankles, and they're like, you know, a foot of your ankle, you know, 12 inches or so, right there where the ankle is like suddenly, it's like rubber, a rubber band is going boing, 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 and there stands the guy, everything else about him looks solid enough. But this one little area, right there above his foot, going up about 12 inches from the top of his foot, on both feet, where the ankle would be, is just going, just completely out of control. He has no control over it. They're traumatized. See, that's what you're faced with, in case you lost your place. 
when you try to take what I said about that all criticism, no matter how apparently well-founded, and all criticism of man has a 50% ratio of being well-founded. It does. But see, what everybody forgets, it has a like proportion of being well-founded. That is, it can be seen as either being a bane or a boost. But then if you try to take this, even if you can say, yeah, I can see that. I can think of examples. But then if you try and take that, of, I'm talking about us now, just people like us, taking our own criticism of our own sorry state of sleeping, deluded consciousness. That is, criticism of our own thought. What can you find good about that? Well, nothing. Well, you didn't even try. You just immediately said nothing. You didn't like being caught like that, did you? For you people on tape, everybody's looking at me like, you lost us. They're pretending. Well, there is surely no doubt that each and every one of you, if not sitting here right now, which I sense you've already done, can see that any criticism of things non-physical about man, anything in the so-called cultural, religious, artistic, intellectual, philosophical, anything in there, anything that is a result, anything that exists only because men have conscious thought, then anything that you can speak of that's a result of conscious thought can, from one view, without trying, without rationalization, it is just natural. It can be seen by any one person, by large groups of people at any particular moment, as being a negative, as being an example of what a man should not do. How he should not, this is how he should not think. This is how he should not speak. But equally, absolutely equally, not because I say so, not theoretically and not a rationalization, but equally, it can be seen as just the opposite. It can be seen as on the basis that if it were not for this, if men did not, in large part, large part of the time, if not a large segment of the population, did not think and believe in this manner, we would all be much the worse off for it. And you simply see it as a fact. I say that each and every one of you sitting there right now, you know the validity. You recognize the validity of what I'm saying and can think of your own examples. But now right quick, I'll try it again. Now you try it. Can you do that same thing with your, quote, your, end quote, attitude, view, of your own state of conscious thinking. We don't have any trouble seeing the negative side. If you didn't recognize that many years ago, you'd never got involved with this. Nobody had to talk you into it. You already had the, you already had the critical view, however you thought about it, of yourself, your spirit, your thinking, your soul, your consciousness. You just didn't have a good name for it. And whatever your rabbi, your priest, or your parents tried to put on it, it, the word didn't work. The word wasn't magic. The description wasn't magic. The general one being, well, 
uh, man's imperfect and God's punishing him. And what you have to do is have faith in God or Allah or somebody. You have to, you know, that's a general thing. But whatever it was, the description did not suit you. But as soon as you read what it was you read that man's asleep, you thought, that's it. It's not a matter of evil or a curse. Our consciousness is dazed. It's snoozing. Finding a critical view of what's going on in your own head is no problem. But now, can you take what I've said tonight, in which I am sure that all of you, as I say, recognize the efficacy of, and other examples, can you see, can you imagine, can you right now turn that on your own view of your own consciousness? A better question, of course, would be, do you realize the difficulty in doing so? Do you realize that it is not quite that easy, to say the least? And yet it's got to be the same thing. It can't be some sort of metaphysical exception. In case you think it is, you're wrong. Once thought is critical of itself, under ordinary conditions, there is no relief. That's why men love the idea, I might point out, of conversion in the religious sense. They wish it were true. Well, in fact, they do dream of it. I was going to say, in the world of psychiatry. And there are stories and there are dreams, I know, that still persist of what they used to call an instant breakthrough. Like if someone had been going into was undergoing classical Freudian analysis, going in two or three times a week for an hour at a time and just talking, just whatever came there, just laying down on the couch or sitting in a chair and just talking, and for years and years, as far as they were concerned, didn't make any progress, but were so critical of their own thought. Not as they're saying, you know, we're not speaking of what's normally called psychotic. They're not people with genetic physical brain damage that need to be looked after as people that's commonly known as neurosis, the walking wounded, psychiatry used to like to call it. That is, they can still walk and work, that is, pay the fee. To put people away, especially years ago, there's no such thing as insurance that covered med- uh, mental problems because they figured you had to be crazy to have health insurance anyway, and so it, di- it just didn't work for you then to suddenly apply that you want some of your insurance premiums back on the basis that they say you're going crazy. The insurance company thought, no, we ain't that crazy. But at any rate, you figure that one out. The walking wounded, the neurotic. And they've never been able to explain it, but I can tell you why it is. It's a person's thought critical of itself. That's all mental illness is, in the sense I mean, of neuroses. That is, people that are not physically brain damaged. It is thought, the person's thought being critical of itself to such a degree that they find it intolerable. And they will pay. Of course, paying for it, that's sort of a mild version of Medivesco, is paying for it. In case none of you ever thought about it, because the common complaint that hadn't changed is that people admit that they have been going to an, they have been in analysis. Often they like to brag with the same psychiatrist for 20, no, it's 21 years now. 21 years I have been going twice a week I, in fact, figured out one time, 
80% of my disposable income over the last 21 years has gone to that doctor. And you think, and you're not cured. They go, no. And your mind thinks, how can this be? Why did I not go into psychiatry? How are these people walking the streets? Well, if they don't get arrested, how do they live? I mean, when I say live, why has not their patients strung them all up? And you can ask a person, you go, well, are you any better? And they go, well, I can't really say I'm any better. And you, and you can ask them, well, what the hell do you keep going for? Yeah, well, gee, I, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's, I, I don't know. Paying the money. Because such people, I guarantee you, if it's not that, the church, the people who brag that, you know, I still feel like a sinner. I still, even though I have joined the church and they tell me that my name is now that God has, I mean, God's good graces and you know, I still don't really feel a lot better. I know they say that once you've joined the church and made the pledge and you pay your tithing to the church, uh, I know my my church, well, all churches, but the guy can say my church assures me that I am now in the good graces of the Almighty, the Creator, and that when I die, everything will be all right. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't right now feel much better. And you can say, well, why do you keep doing it? Why do you go? Why do you give them 10% of your salary? It's a low form. It's a mild wattage version of what I, you know, my term, you remember, Medivesco. They're not any better. They're not getting treated. They're not, they're not changing. I didn't mean it sound like the psychiatrists don't know what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. It's not their fault. If patients didn't pay them, they wouldn't be in business. They'd have a regular job. So, it's as much the patients fault as the psychiatrist. Or don't ever blame ministers. Sure, they're insane. Sure, they're crazy. But hell, if people didn't show up, they would have to get a job. Or maybe go into analysis. But then they couldn't afford it. At any rate, I still say life all balances out in a very equitable manner. Thought, there is no cure, back where I was, there is no cure for thought criticizing, being critical of itself. It does not harm most people. Most people are not in analysis. Most people, when it, you know, they'll have a few drinks. They'll take whatever drugs they can get their hands on, the tranquilizers, but have a damn drink. There is no way, if, if we leave out, you know, this pretend, if we leave out Medivesco of uh, following some guru, believing in some, 90, some invisible force, uh, believing that uh, talking about your problem, believing that psychiatric analysis or treatment, if you get past all of that, which obviously does not work, it has no effect. If you get past that and you don't and, you know, result, uh, resort to drink and drugs, then I say to you that there is no relief at all for thought being critical of itself other than waking up to what's going on. But with most people, they're not troubled with it enough to do anything, because it's simply the nature of man. As I said, there's always a drink at the very worst, and with most people there's religion. There is thought itself engaging in dreams, such as, well, yeah, I'm suffering now, but uh, according to my Bible, according to the Koran, according to my Holy Scripture, according to my priest, my rabbi, they say that uh, now that I'm in God's good graces, after I die and end up in paradise, 
I'll be satisfied. I won't have, I won't have this uneasiness. I won't be tormented. He will no longer allow the demons of affliction to bother me. That satisfies most people. I say this is another entree, another view of what, quote, trying to wake up is or wanting to awaken when you hear about it or wanting to be enlightened. It is thought being critical of itself, which is natural in everyone. Everyone else lives with it. I don't know whether people like us have it worse. At one time I pondered that. You know, is it that people like us have it worse? Or are we just more, are we just about the same as everyone else? And we're just more sensitive to it? In case some weekend your cable goes out and you can't get 500 channels, you sit around and... <laughs> I mean, hell, I found that good. That was worth pondering on. I don't remember, you know. Till the coffee runs out. But I say that that's what's wanting to awaken us. That that's just another view of what that hunger, that longing, that interest. Thought is critical of itself and there is no way out. There is nothing that thought can come up with to say to itself. That's what the treatments are. And that's why people will pay for the treatments or pay a priest or a church or a psychiatrist. The treatment's not working. You're not changing. But you can ask the psychiatrist, you can ask the priest, the rabbi, the shaman, you can go, well, I mean, I am doing the right thing. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm not completely satisfied. I'm not cured. I still have the bad daydreams, doctor. He goes, well, that's not unusual. Well, I've been here 21 years. He says, that's not unusual at all. You've, you've got patients that have been coming with problems as bad as mine for this long. Oh, yes, longer. Oh, you ask a priest. Uh, you know, I come here all the time. I light the candles. I buy the candles. I pay for my pew. I do whatever it is. I give my money. Uh, and I've made the pledge. And I'm here at least once a week or what you say is a minimum. Uh, he says, well, that's good. And you go, but to tell you the truth, I don't really feel any more satisfied or at peace than I did when I started here 10 years ago. And he goes, well, I understand that. And you know, we're human. We live in a carnal, sinful world. And you say, well, so it's not unusual. Oh, no. And you can say, well, I looked around. I thought, well, everybody else here, this members of the churches, they all got their heads bowed when we're having mass or where the service is, and they all have smiles, and they light candles, and they sing along. And I just thought everybody else here that I was the only one that everybody else had just was completely at peace and was just like at one with the universe. And you go, oh, no. And the priest or rabbi, especially if he thinks you're about to drift away, he might be driven to say, well, let me tell you what, my son, my daughter, uh, I am still tormented. Not you, Father. Yes. I never claimed to be supernatural. I'm just a man. But I know where to put my trust. I know that this life is not one of peace and tranquility. It's not a life of certainty. It's a trial for the next life. Well, here, let me pay some extra. I feel a lot better. Let me pay next month's in advance. Well, I shouldn't always distract by these cheap shots. Of course, it's not necessarily cheap according to what temple you attend. But the point is, they will assure you that there's nothing wrong with not being satisfied. There's nothing wrong in being in analysis and not being cured. Because the psychiatrist, not only will the priest tell you that if it really pushed, the priest will very likely admit, well, I'm not, I'm still troubled. 
I still suffer the dark night of the soul, the black plagues in my head, the evil, destructive thoughts. I simply fall on my knees and pray. I go in and I light a candle. I do the same thing that you do. That's why I can pastor this church. That's why I'm your spiritual leader. That's why I'm the rabbi. I am the teacher and you're the student. I'm not any better off than you. I'm still a human. I'm still here afflicted by the torments and the weaknesses of man. But we're all trying. The, the psychiatrist, if he's really pushed, you go, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. The psychiatrist may finally tell you, I don't know whether you know this, but I see a psychiatrist. Are you really? Oh, yes. In fact, every psychiatrist I know who is conscientious is in analysis himself. Are you serious? And go, yeah. Well, I didn't, you strike me as just being the epitome of a sane, mentally healthy person. And go, well, it's not that there's anything really troubling. You know, I'm not psychotic, but I'm just not, I'm not perfect. You go, well, everybody else lives with it. I'm saying, I repeat, where I started off on this side, this side road, or this part of it, that under any ordinary condition, anything that the mind can come up with will not satisfy its criticism of itself. Only waking up will. That is, only seeing what's going on. There is no cure. There's not even a treatment. There's not a salve. I'm saying that to us. To the rest of the world, there is a salve, such as religion. And that's not a criticism. It's simply, if their own thinking gets too critical, and they get upset, and they, they're not... They do not favor analysis or can't afford it or just don't trust it. They turn to religion. Their thoughts, in other words, I shouldn't say religion like it exists, their thoughts turn to dreams that other men's thoughts have previously conjured up as a response, as an attempted treatment to thought being critical of itself. See, thoughts then it also, thoughts made up this whole idea that there's a God and uh, let's see, well, it goes, you already got it, I already mentioned it, but most religions, the idea is that this life is a trial. It's either a punishment or a trial. Most of them look at it as a trial. This is to test you, that you can either live a proper life, you can live a godly life, a Jewish life, a Muslim life, whatever it is. God gives you the chance. But this is a test. That's why we call the afterlife paradise in heaven. This is when things get straightened out. Right now, things will never be straightened out. Look around you, they say. Again, when I say they say, I'm not laying this on religion, I'm laying it on human thought. Humans made it up. The thoughts of man made it all up. But the story is, well, look around you. This is not paradise. This never will be. Look back as far as our holy writings go. The first thing in almost every holy book is one man killing another. Some dastardly deed. So they point out, well, the whole history of humanity is bloodshed. Evil deeds, evil people, and it's not going to change. So human thought it came up with this explanation. Well, that's because this is just kind of the preparatory life. This is not the real thing. This is a test. And in the next life, because they, the first thing they dream of is you won't be sick and you'll get laid all you want to and there'll be plenty of wine. And, but then after that is everything will be peaceful. 
No more problems. That, to the mind, to human thought, is paradise. It throws in the rest about plenty of free sex and streets of gold and everybody be rich and all your credit cards will be paid off. You can eat all you want to and you won't put on weight. That's just kind of an added inducement. But what thought really wants to get at is, once you're there, all of your enemies are gone, all the people who torment you are gone, everything that bothers you, all of your fears, all of your uncertainties, all of your doubts about your own self-worth, all of that's gone. That's what the human thought's interested in. And so that's the kind of salve ordinary people use. It's never a cure. There is no cure from ordinary Ordinary thought has no cure. If it had a cure, it would have found it a long time ago. If ordinary thought is critical of itself, and it's possible, in some way it's going to see the basis of it, it would have done so already. Or, put it another way, if there is a real basis for thought's criticism of itself, by now that we know that man has been thinking, if we just take the crude evidence of it, of him being literate. We know that man has been thinking for 5,000 years. So he's had 5,000 years for his thoughts. If there's a basis for them criti their criticism of themselves, he's had 5,000 years to straighten it out. I mean, it's just something going on within the size of like a pillbox in your brain. It's not like trying to figure out the problem of how can we actually fly under our own locomotion. No, that's a problem based upon the laws of aerodynamics. So I, I consider that a problem. That's a big problem. But we're talking about a teeny-weeny little problem. Human thought is critical of itself, and it drives much, much of ordinary human existence. So human thought has had 5,000 years that we know of to do something about that whatever it is that makes it critical of itself. But notice this. Not only has it not done anything about it, it doesn't even know what the basis of the criticism is. Except no ordinary person knows that. At any one time, I may have been the only person on the planet that knew it, but now you do. Except when you think about it. And you look off and now you're being critical. Not just you, me, anybody. If you think about that, you're being critical. Back to where I was going to leave it. I meant to in originally. I was going to stop 20 minutes ago, but I enjoyed it so much. I repeat, I'm sure that all of you, I feel confident that you see what I was pointing to, that anything, any criticism that your thoughts latch on to about anything about life you can equally see it. All you got to do is just remind yourself. Just think of tonight. You don't have to talk to yourself. Just surely just remembering that I said it has equal, an equal positive effect. And it can be seen instantly. So where it is that your thoughts make some criticism about something in life? What idiocy? When will humanity straighten out? When will humans stop believing such crap as that? Such destructive Things as that. You can immediately see just the opposite. Just the opposite. That had it not been, were it not for men thinking, large parts, segments of humanity, 
thinking like that, God, we'd still be out living with alligators in the swamps. I'm sure you can all do that. But then, I ask you again, can you turn that, and this is a large rhetorical question, can you take that same attitude and turn it on your own criticism of your own thoughts? That is, what's obviously a valid criticism of I'm asleep. Whatever that means, I'm asleep. I, I am not satisfied with my ordinary state of mind because I know I can do better. I can do better to please me. Whether anybody else knows that I can be in a state that is satisfactory compared to this, that is pleasing to say the least. And when it's really wound up and running good, it's mind-blowing. So the criticism is quite valid, right? Okay, but how about what we were just talking about? Where's the upside? If you can seriously work on that and not shake yourself out of a dream, and I say that you're not part of the walking wounded, you're actually the walking dead, and evidently me or you, neither one of us recognize it. Well, that's my last story for the week. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.